Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. All right, so we are in the middle of a series. Uh, Actually, this is the end. Today is the last day of the series on Daniel, and next week we are going to launch into a brand new series on relationships. It's called Love Song, and you're going to absolutely love it. It, uh, it is, we, we talk about relationships at least once a year around here, and we explore love and dating because, let's face it, all of us are either in a relationship or want to be in a relationship. Some of you don't want to be in the relationship you're in, but we're all relational, we, and so exploring and learning about and covering relationships is really important to us. So get here next week, bring your friends, bring your family, and, uh, and come join us for Love Song. So, all right, let's wrap up today's series. And we're, we're talking uh, again in Daniel. And, and of course, if you haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick synopsis. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament. And it, uh, it is one of these weird books because there's, there's different categories in the Old Testament. There's historical books, there's poetic books, and then there's these prophetic books. And prophecy, if you're unfamiliar with the word, is just things that talk about things that are to come, right? And God put these things in the Bible so that when they started to happen, we would say, all right, we know that this is a sign of the times or that, that God knows what's happening, so we don't have to freak out about it. Like, he's got a plan, and we can read the other prophecy and follow what we're supposed to do. And so we've been answering the question over the past few weeks as we've looked at Daniel, which is a book that has history and prophecy in it. The first six chapters are historical, and we've been looking at those. And then this is the last week, and we're going to look at the last six books of, or chapters of Daniel that cover some of the prophecy. And we've been looking at how do we live a godly life in a culture that has gone crazy. And, uh, and so if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to listen to our podcast. In other words, the messages, you can, we post them every week on Facebook, but if you're not friends with us on Facebook, fix that, like now, get your phone out, it'll be okay, nobody will slap your hand, find me on Facebook or join our group, but you can also get it at mysimplechurch.com, you can listen to all of our messages there, and they will be an incredible blessing to you, so you can, you can listen to those. Redeem the time when you're driving to work or when you're driving to that next job, listen to something that'll encourage you and lift up your spirit. All right, so as I said today, we're going to look at the last six chapters of Daniel, and uh, these are all prophecies regarding the end times. Now, Daniel, throughout these last six chapters, has three dreams or visions that God gave him regarding the end times. And as we look at those dreams or those visions, I hope to address the question of, are we living in the end times? I think that's a question that, that a lot of us ask. And, but before we do that, let's look at the New Testament to see where Jesus is giving a shout-out to Daniel, to the prophecies that Daniel wrote, because those would have been books that Jesus would have had access to. And, uh, and he, he read that, and so he said he, he's giving a shout-out to him where Daniel's talking about the end of days, and Jesus is, is, is pointing back to him as he talks to people on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, if you need a Bible today, we would love to give you one. If you don't own one, if you would just shoot your hand in the air, one of my service hosts will give you a Bible. That is our gift to you. But the verses will also be up on the screen here, and we're going to be in Matthew 24, verse 3. And it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So this is a sidebar conversation. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, I think, I think when will all this happen is where we all get hung up, right? 
we start reading all this prophecy and we start reading about the doom and gloom and we kind of get hung up on when. Like we want to be prepared just like all of you who are preparing for the zombie apocalypse that's never going to happen. We want to be prepared, right? We want to know the day that it's going to happen. We want to get our our stockade ready. We want to have enough guns, enough bullets. We want to be ready for when this happens. And I think we, if we know when, we can be prepared. And so we get hung up there. But the, the Bible doesn't specifically say when it's going to happen. It doesn't give us the time, but we begin to look for codes and cryptographs, you know? We think if we hold our Bible in a certain light, or we get out that decoder ring that we get from, you know, like the Lucky Charms box of cereal, right? That we can figure out a date, and that 7 plus 10 equals 1988. Like, look, there was a book that came out in 1988. It said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. I see some of you shaking your heads. You read this book. You knew about it. Jesus didn't come in 88. So in 89, there was a book that said 89 reasons why Jesus is coming in 89, and Seriously, this is a legit thing that happened. A couple years ago, we had, we had people in, Cal- was it in California where they were selling all of their belongings because there was a pastor out there who said, Jesus is returning at this date. And they sold everything they had and put up billboards that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And then they all stood on a roof and Jesus didn't come. And I just shake my head when I see this kind of stuff start happening because if you just read your Bible, you'll see that it says, no man knows. So if you see somebody out standing on the street corner saying, Jesus is coming tomorrow at 5 o'clock, that guy's a liar. He doesn't know. I'm not afraid to call it what it is. We've got the Word of God that tells us the truth. I I can call that a lie. they, They don't know. So my warning is this. Don't spend a whole lot of time when studying eschatology, or that's the big word for studying the end times, Don't spend a whole lot of time getting wrapped up in the when of his coming in the end because Jesus himself, the Bible bears out that Jesus himself doesn't know. He has no clue. He's standing next to the Father saying, when? The disciples ask him when. He says, I don't even know. My Father in heaven knows. He knows the answer. So Jesus is standing there next to God. Is it time? Is it time to go? Not yet. Not yet. Only the Father knows the exact time. So we can't get caught up in figuring out when the end will happen It is our responsibility to just be prepared. This is your warning. Don't do it. Don't get caught up in it. You just need to be ready. And the more important thing that we should focus on is the second part of this question is what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, uh, this, this is something that Jesus does speak to. He answers that as, as well as did Peter, as well as did Paul and John. They all gave us signs that we could look for to know that the end was coming or that the end was near. And since Jesus' time on earth, every generation since then believed that they were in the end times. Even Paul the apostle, he saw wickedness increasing. He knew the signs of the times. God told him and Jesus even spoke of them. And so he knew that the signs were there and he's seeing all these signs happen and he's like, we are in the end times, guys. This is it. And Jesus still didn't return during his time. They saw prophecy being fulfilled and lived a life of preparedness for the day that Jesus would return, though. But not one of them had had as many signs in their generation as we do in ours. Not a single one of them did. And I think you're going to see today that we are genuinely living in the end times. I believe that. And here's what Jesus said were the signs of the end. He says, it continues in Matthew 24, 12 through 15, he says, Because of the increase of wickedness, we can look around our world and see that this is truly happening. The increase of wickedness, it's all around us. The love of most will grow cold. Not only will we have more wickedness, but we'll have people who used to be on fire for Jesus 
no longer living a life of love for him. What does that mean? Love is not this feeling. Love is an action. They are no longer living lives that represent a life that is following Christ. They will not be passionate about living holy lives. They will be cold or indifferent to the word of God. There will be people who say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean that. They'll use it to justify their selfish desires. They'll use it to justify the way that they want to live. They'll reject righteous living because they are lovers of this world and not God's truth. The verse continues on. It says, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So that word nation is the word ethnos, and it's literally speaking to people groups, right? It's not just saying to a nation. Uh, there, within every nation, there are groups of people, and, uh, and so that's what this is talking about. It's saying that each people group will be reached for the gospel, and, uh, and we are doing our part, of course, in doing that. We are ascending church. We send out missionaries, and we support missionaries uh, for people who to go out and to reach those people groups, and so we're doing that in hopes to speed the return of Christ. We are having the gospel preached in every language to every people group, and we owe a lot of this recent rapid delivery of the gospel to the increase in technology. Think about it, just 15 to 20 years ago, people were still smuggling Bibles into China. Like they were, I knew people who went on mission trips that risked their lives and their freedom to take Bibles in their luggage into China. We no longer need to do that. The internet allows Bibles to be passed around. You could send an entire Bible PDF in an email. And so people are, are receiving these a lot faster than they used to be able to. You can get a Bible online. You can get an entire library of Christian books and understand, right, yeah, he just held up right here on my phone. I got it right here on my phone. In all these countries, these different people groups are being reached faster than ever. Look, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are current experiments being done where they are going to remote locations and dropping off laptops. Laptops with internet connections. They're just giving them to people. They're not explaining what they are. And the people are learning how to use them. They're learning English. They're learning to read. They are using the interwebs to gain knowledge. They're just dropping them off. And so knowledge is freely increasing. The gospel is being brought into areas faster than ever because of that. So let's jump back to the verse. Here's now the shout out to Daniel that Jesus gives. He said, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. Those are Daniel's words. You see the the parentheses around there. Uh, not the parentheses, but the uh, uh, apostrophes. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> I lost my word. The comma to the top. <laughs> you see him. <laughs> he is quoting Daniel here, okay? And uh, <laughs> where am I at? The abomination that causes desolation. Spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand, Okay. When you see things go down like this, you need to understand what, it's, what is about to happen, okay? But the problem is that prophecy can be a little confusing, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people who sit down and read Revelation for entertainment, you know what I mean? They, they don't really enjoy it. Now, my dad does. My dad, he can talk end-time prophecy all day long, you know? He follows what's currently happening, and you can go for hours. Look, we start talking about end-time prophecy. If you dig that, I will immediately fall asleep on you. I will... <clears throat> I will, that, that's just, I'm, I don't get hung up on it because people are chasing around and saying, well, this thing is here and this thing. Look, it's great that it's happening, but you need to know I'm on the first boat out of here. You know what I'm saying? As soon as the rapture happens, I'm not even hanging around for the end. 
Jesus comes, I'm gone. It's good that you know that, but <laughs> so anyway, so so it's it end time prophecy can be difficult to understand, and uh, so so today what I'm going to do is is I'm going to try to uh, to make things very simple. I'm very passionate about taking complex things and making them simple to understand. That's why we're at Simple Church, and uh, and so we're going to spend some time doing that because I believe that if we can make sense of it all. That it, that it can benefit us, that there are some practical applications that if we really understood the signs of the times, that it truly has the ability to affect the way that we live our lives. And so uh, we're, we're going to do that a little bit today. We're going to dive into it. Because so <clears throat> if we just do this study without deciding to respond to what we read in the Word of God, in my opinion, we've just wasted our time. We've wasted our time. We, we, we have to respond to it. So I'll give you some responses at the end. So we're just going to dive right in. Uh, it, there's something called the 77s. There's a place in chapter 9 where Daniel, uh, where everything that he sees gets summarized. All of his dreams and the visions, everything gets summarized. And essentially we can break it down to these 77s. And when I say that, I'm not saying 77. I'm saying 70 groups of 7. Okay, these are essentially 70 groups of seven years, okay? If you're, not, if you're doing math, that's 490 years that are represented in these few lines of prophecy that, that Daniel is about to give us. And, and most of what he saw has already been fulfilled. Uh, it's been confirmed in history, not biblical history, but in actual, hey, people wrote about this. In the history books of the world, the prophecies that, that Daniel made, the majority of them have been fulfilled, okay? So there's three major segments. Let me show you the first one. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 says 77, so that's that 490 years, so that's 70 groups of seven years, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. So from this point on, look, it's telling us. So you can't just read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. It says know and understand this. The rest of it's good, but no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, notice that's in capital letters, that's talking about Jesus. Until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So where he says from no one understand, the first thing uh, is the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Okay. Uh, remember that Daniel is, of course, now he's living during this time when he receives this vision. He is living in Babylon as a slave, and he is serving underneath the king. And he's doing this because the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem. They laid the entire city and the temple to waste. And so King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took the people away and took them all as slaves. And so Daniel is writing that, and he's saying that, that the, the, um, the temple and Jerusalem... And the anointed one, he's talking about that coming. And he's saying that those things will be rebuilt. And then we see two time periods given in this little sentence here. It says seven sevens, so that's 49 years, and 62 sevens, and that's 434 years. So that's 62 groups of seven. Is this enough numbers for you? Are, are we good? All right. I promise I've got a little graphic and stuff that I'll put up here at the end so that you can make sense of it. <coughs> 
So there's these two time periods, 49 years and 434 years. So during Daniel's time, there were two guys who saw the first part of the vision, the restoration of Jerusalem, and the temple fulfilled. This is Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? And uh, there was a fourth king that Daniel served under. His name was King Cyrus. And when he came to power, he kind of sympathized with the Jews and began to send convoys back to Israel. And he sent them back and gave them permission to rebuild the city. And essentially, Nehemiah, he gave him permission to rebuild the walls. And then Ezra is helping, and he's responsible for seeing the temple rebuilt, okay? And, uh, and so that happens. That rebuilding process happens. And guess how many years it takes to rebuild the city and the temple? 49 years. It takes exactly 49 years. See, Daniel saw all this. He saw it, and he prophesied about it. Now, what's interesting here is that if you were to read the Old Testament in chronological order, because the books are not placed in chronological order, so that if you read, them, read the Old Testament from beginning to end, you get a full story. But if they were placed in chronological order, Ezra and Nehemiah would be the last two books that you would read in the Old Testament, chronologically. And because of that, that's the last thing that happens before there's this period of silence. It's almost 500 years. Where God is not talking, nothing, he's not saying anything, there's no more prophets, he's not saying anything to the people. And that time period from the time that the temple was completed to the time that Jesus gives his life on the earth, historians tell us that that time, guess how many years it is? 434 years. It is exactly what Daniel saw. And so the, the verse continues on. It says, uh, talking about the city, it says, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. If you read Nehemiah and you read Ezra, you'll, you'll read in Nehemiah where they were rebuilding the wall and they had, a, they had their tool in one hand and a sword in another because they were in times of trouble. There were people that were trying to keep them from doing it, and so they had to be on guard at all times. And the verse continues on. It says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So this is the death of Christ. This is when he comes to earth, he dies. That's after that 434 years. So Jesus is here, and that second period he sees is 434 years, and that is Jesus' time period. Daniel sees this whole thing taking place. So if you're doing the math with me, that is 483 years. That's the first group of sevens and the second group of sevens there that we've seen fulfilled. That is 69 of the 70 groups of seven that Daniel prophesied about. Is that enough math for you? So there's one group of sevens, this group of seven years that is unaccounted for in this, in this time period. <clears throat> the verse continues on. It says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel once again sees the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and of course, wouldn't you know it, in A.D. 70, this is after Jesus has already passed on, uh, that another nation comes in and destroys the city and destroys the temple. Now, fast forward to today, the temple is still destroyed. The only thing remaining of it is one wall. Uh, in fact, the, the Jewish people claim that Temple Mount is currently where the, the, uh, the Arab people have their temple. They have control of it, and so the temple has not been rebuilt, but they are desperate about rebuilding it. And so we look at this, and there's one, that one group of sevens that is left out, and Daniel fast-forwards to the end of time. His verse continues on it. It says, and the end will come like a flood. So there's that fast-forward moment. War will continue until the end, and we've certainly seen that. How many world wars have we gone to, and how many wars have we experienced just as, on, as America, and how many wars have we been involved in, and yet the wars continue across the world. 
So war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He, and that he is referencing the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So there's that group. There's that last group of seven years. So now he's talking about the final years, and, uh, and he's beginning to describe the time period from Revelation known as the tribula- tribulation period, okay? And guess how long that tribulation period is? Seven years. It is seven years. So this full group of prophecy that Daniel is talking about here, we, we can see it, the, that was Old Testament time, that, that was the, the rebuilding Jesus' time to the time that he gave his life, and then this missing seven years that hasn't even still yet been fulfilled that Daniel saw. So here's a quick timeline for you from the book of Revelation uh, in this week's 90-second breakdown. If somebody's got a timer, I'm going to try this. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation speak of the, the church age. That's today. This is the body of Christ that is active on the earth, and we are currently reaching people for Jesus, okay? We are actively waiting for his return. Chapter 4 of Revelations, verse 1, is where the church disappears. We call this the rapture. Now, no matter where you stand on this, if you are educated in eschatology, if you believe that, that you are going, you are a pre-tribber, that means you believe that before the tribulation happens and all the bad stuff goes down, that Jesus is going to rescue you. That's called pre-tribber. There's mid-tribbers, people that believe they're going to be here three and a half years through the tribulation, and then Jesus takes us away. And then there's people that believe that, hey, man, we're in for the long haul. We're going through seven years of hell. Buckle up. You know what I'm saying? And we call those post-tribbers. That doesn't matter where you stand on that. Me personally... From the scriptures, I believe that we get rescued from all that, and we're on the first elevator out of here. Amen? I've got a couple thumbs up out there. You guys are with me with that. So we all want to do that. And uh, I believe God takes us. So, so that's what happens in chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 6, once the church is gone, there's a rise of a guy called the Antichrist, okay, who comes to power. And he reveals himself because he's the guy who is the only one who's ever been able to make peace with Israel and the Arab nations. He's the only guy who will ever be able to do that. He will be famous for bringing peace between them. Okay, and in that peace treaty, he will create, uh, he'll give control of the Temple Mount back to the Jewish people. And right now, uh, it's under Palestinian control. uh, And it's got a golden dome on the top of it. So if you've ever seen that, that's the building we're talking about. And currently, the Jewish people desperately want to get in there and restore the temple. They want to restore control of that. There are groups of people right now active that are rebuilding the furniture and all the decorations that would have been in the temple. They are active and doing it now. This is happening, folks. Now, they don't have control of it yet, but this is to come. They're making ready for the day that they can reclaim the temple so that they can reinstitute because they want to do it again. They want to do as the Old Testament declares in the Mosaic law. They want to do Old Testament sacrifice. They, they don't believe that Jesus has come. They believe they should still be doing that, but they need their temple to do it, okay? So this all happens in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The Antichrist gives them the power to do that, and they reinstitute that, Okay. Chapter 6 through 19 of Revelation is dedicated to the tribulation and all the atrocities and the desolations that will happen there. It's very morbid and very, it's Debbie Downer. Go ahead, read it. It's fun. Yay. But I do encourage you to read it because understanding it will be a blessing to you. I do believe that. So 6 through 19 is, is all about the tribulation. And then in chapter 19, right smack in the middle of the tribulation, uh, that's three and a half years, the Antichrist stops the sacrifice And the worship to God and sets up an image of himself in the temple. And Daniel speaks to some of that. And and, uh, Daniel called this the abomination that causes desolation. This is also where the Antichrist will roll out the mark of the beast. We talked about this a few weeks ago, which is that system that you'll have to uh, get a mark or his mark in order to be able to buy and to sell. And so this happens at three and a half years in. 
Also in chapter 19, Jesus returns and defeats the devil. Yay, go Jesus. <clears throat> and then the marriage supper of the lamb commences. You know what that means? It means the first day when Jesus comes back and he beats the devil, we're going to eat, y'all. We're going to eat. And I'm excited about that. And so Jesus establishes his government and rule for a thousand years in, an earth, in, in this earth. And that's what we call the millennium. And then at the end of that millennium, the devil gets back out and then tempts all the people uh, who, have, who have been around during Jesus' reign because they all need an opportunity to accept or reject Christ. So he gets out and runs, runs around for a bit. And, uh, and then there, there's this final day. This is called the Great White Throne Judgment where the enemy is conquered, where the devil is conquered for all time. All dead and alive will be, will be uh, in heaven and judged before God on that Great White Throne Judgment. The Lamb's book of life will be opened. Uh, people will be judged on what they did with Jesus. And then the last two chapters of Revelation describe uh, earth remade as a utopia, uh, where, where it is 72 and sunny all day long. And we have glorified bodies, and we'll be able to teleport and go anywhere. It'll be wonderful. I don't even know if that's biblical, but I've got to believe that's what's going to happen in our glorified bodies. Amen? So that is Revelation in a nutshell. Now back to Daniel. I tell you all that because Daniel confirms what John, the, the disciple of Jesus, sees as well. So he confirms it. And so it's important for us to see that, see that okay? Uh, and so the Antichrist comes to power, and he'll make a covenant with many for one seven, or the seven years, and we call that the tribulation. So Daniel continues on. It says, In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So, Here's my, here's my little uh, illustration. This is 70 groups of seven years. So that's seven times seven equals 490 years. This is, this is what Daniel's prophecy encaps, encapsulated. And 483 of those years are already fulfilled. 49 years for the city and the temple. 434 years later, Jesus gives his life on the cross. And now there's just seven years of this prophecy that's missing, which we now know is the tribulation. So the question is, how will all of this end? What does all this mean to me and why does it matter? Aaron, you've been talking so fast and I get it that there's a lot to take in. You will probably have to go and listen to this podcast a couple times if you really want all the information up here, okay? But the most important thing is, how do you respond to this? What do, what do we do with this? Daniel continues on and he answers that for us in chapter 12. It says, at that time, Michael, who's an archangel, who's always associated with war, uh, it says, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. He's talking about the earth. Now, you need to remember, the earth, we have seen some times of stress already. I mean, the entire earth was flooded and destroyed through, through, the, through the flood during Noah's time, and then we've lived through all of these wars and these separations and, and we, we've gone through so much here on this earth, but it says that this time will be way worse than anything we've ever experienced. <clears throat> but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Now what you need to see here is the book that, ex that exists in heaven, right? Uh, scripture tells us that this is the Lamb's book of life, and that this is a book that if you have said yes to Christ, if you are a follower of him, that your name is written in this book. And when they open it up, your name will appear there. And so um, you can make that decision today if you've never done that. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No, you're not going to 
you know, write your name in blood in some book here in the church. That's weird. That's not going to happen. It's, it's a simple prayer, and we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But, but you could say, I want to follow Christ today. And when you do, the Bible tells us that there's a party in heaven, that all the angels are getting down because somebody said, man, I want to follow Jesus, that there is a celebration over a person's name being written in the Lamb's book of life. And so there's a time coming when the angel will open that book, and if your name is written there, that you will be delivered. And some people believe that we'll have God's protection to go through the tribulation, but as I've already said, I believe we're out of here and that we don't need to go through that. It means God rescues us from there. So Daniel is confirming the rapture. He continues on and says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, <coughs> some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the great white throne judgment. This is, this is where people, their eternal destinies will be decided based on what they have done with Jesus those who are wise will shine. So the goal of this talk today is not to just gain knowledge. Look, we know plenty of things. We know stuff. But we don't just know stuff for the sake of having knowledge. We know stuff so that we can become wise. See, wisdom is knowledge and action. Right? And so we have to, we have to settle someplace in our hearts to say, all right, now we know this, what do we do? How do we put this knowledge into action because knowledge itself doesn't help anybody. It's not enough just to know stuff. So we need to not only know it, but we have to have the wisdom to apply what we know so that we can adjust to living in this end time culture. And Daniel is saying that those who are wise, who understand uh, how, how to apply this knowledge or to respond to it, he says, shine like the brightness of heavens and those who lead many to righteousness. So if we can understand this stuff, we can understand that, that or, or know how to be wise. We can know that it is our responsibility that in this end time culture, it is our responsibility to shine. What does that mean? It means to live our lives in such a way, Tim preached on it a few weeks back, a life of shiny. It is to live our lives in such a way that the world looks at us and says, there's something different about you. I want to be a part of that. See, Jesus is already gone. Paul and Peter and Moses and all these people who would have pointed to the way, they're not here today. We are God's plan in this earth for this end time. There's no plan B. It's you and me. That's it. And God has called us to live a life of shining. And that's why we believe that, that we are to live our life on mission. That is our mission. See, we didn't set out to create a church for Christians here at Simple Church. We didn't do that. We don't even have members here. You know what we have? We have partners we have partners who come in who own the mission, who said, you know what, that's God's mission, you're on it, and I want to join you. Our t-shirts that we give out to our partners says, owning the mission, because they are choosing to own a mission. You don't get a membership card with permissions to come here and tell me how to do my job and how we're going to lead this church. You're picking up your mantle and saying, I'm going to carry this burden with you. We're going to go and reach the lost. See, we didn't set out to create a church just for Christians. We set out to create a church where the lost could come. Where my job is, is to equip you with everything that you need to minister, not only to the saints, but to reach those that are lost. That's my job, and that's what we are here to do, is to reach God's lost kids and to build an army that will be made up of people who understand that time is short, and this whole deal about being the end times is real, that the signs exist that the end is near. That's what we're out to do here. The verse continues on. It says, like the stars forever and ever, describing how we would shine. 
But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end, and many will go here and there and increase in knowledge. Look, this are two signs that the time is near. Many will go here and there. Look, we are traveling more and more than ever. More and more than ever. We used to, to go on the Oregon Trail, it took four to six months to travel that trail. Now in 36 hours, you can be on the moon. The speed at which we travel has increased. Not only the speed, but the frequency of which we travel. They say that any given time around the earth, there are 2,000 planes that are in the air, aircrafts, anywhere around the earth. We are traveling more than we ever have. That's one of the signs. And then it says that, that knowledge would increase. You know, it took 200 years, they say, scholars say it took 200 years for our knowledge as humans to double. And then for it to double again, it took 50 years. And then after the, uh, then 30 years later, it doubled again. And so knowledge has, is doubling faster and faster. And today, they say that our knowledge, our current knowledge, what we understand, doubles every 18 to 24 months. So every two years, knowledge is doubling. We know this because we can see it. We can see that modern medicine has, the last 50 years of modern medicine have have increased and have grown so great that it's surpassed and eclipsed all medicine and medical practices that we've ever done as human beings. Period. Our knowledge is increasing. And really, is this a shock to you? Is it a shock to you that knowledge is increasing that much? I mean, you held up your cell phone earlier. Look, we have a cell phone, most of us, in our pockets that is, has the power of computation and processing that, you know, 20 years ago, in order for a computer to do that, it would have to fill rooms of hardware. We are moving at incredible speeds. They say soon that computers will far surpass our ability and our human intelligence. They say it's coming soon. We are increasing knowledge, and it is the, the sign of the times, and we need to understand that these things so we know how to respond to them. And here's how Daniel responds to all this. He says, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. How many of you are there with me today? <laughs> I heard what he said, but I didn't understand. I think this is like, this is the scripture verse for men in general from talking to women. You know, I heard what you said, baby, but I didn't understand. We all need to put that on our, on our refrigerators at home and say, look, I, I heard it. <laughs> and so Daniel goes on, he says, so I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. This is one more sign here. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. What Bible's talking about, or what, what God is talking about here, is a great revival that will happen in the end times. See, look, I'm going to tell you this, that you're not going to see this on TV. You're not going to read about it in the newspaper. The media is not going to tell you about the tens of thousands of people every day that are giving their lives to Christ in China. The world will have you believe that Christianity and light is getting smaller and smaller during this end time. Certainly, wickedness is increasing. But they want you to believe that that's what's happening and that we are the minority and we are not the minority. There is a great revival that the Bible is speaking to. Based on statistics, here's something that might blow you away. That since the year 2003 to date, there are more people that have given their life to Christ since Jesus' time up to the year 2003. This is just statistically. 
There are more people coming to Christ than ever. This is a sign of the time. We are in an exponential revival. Daniel continues on. He says, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise, who put knowledge into action, will know what it means. From the time the daily sacrifices stop, which is the middle of the tribulation, we talked about that already, and the sacrilegious ob- object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped. That's that statue of the Antichrist in the temple. There will be 1,290 days. That's three and a half years. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end. As for you, go your way until the end. This is what the message is from Daniel for us. Go our way and continue to live our life. Don't get caught up in all this stuff, preparing for an apocalypse. Don't, don't, don't get all caught up in chasing around prophecy. Don't, don't spend your time doing that, preparing a bunker in which you can hunker down and be the last man or woman on earth. Trying to calculate when it's all going to happen. In fact, the verse goes on and says, you will rest and then at the end of days, if we live with wisdom, if we let our light shine, if we will let God keep our souls at peace and have rest, then at the end, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. This is the gift that God has for each one of us who preserve or persevere in all of this. So Jesus, Peter, and Paul give us, all give us directive on what we're to do with all this. So here's quick things as I, three quick things as I close. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, no one will be ready for it. If we were ready for the thief, then we would have caught him, right? He wouldn't be a thief. He wouldn't steal anything from us. So we're not going to be ready for it. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So we need to understand, how are we supposed to live our lives? He's asking an incredible question here. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Look, holy doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you are set apart. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily set apart from the world. That means you don't fellowship with them. You don't talk to sinners. That's not what it means. It means that you are separated unto God for his purposes, for his plan, for what he has for your life. That's what holy living is. It is separated unto him. And we can't let culture dupe us into believing that the end is never coming. We can't. We've seen so many people. I even talked about them earlier, the one group in California that said Jesus is coming. We've seen so many people do that. And we said, you know what? They've been saying that for years. He's not coming anytime soon. Don't buy into that lie. Don't buy into that. Because if we believe that he's not coming soon, then we don't live our lives in a way that is prepared for his arrival. And there are things that we can do to speed the day of God and its coming. The first thing is follow God, not culture. God's word is the standard. As culture slips, slides away, we need to maintain God's standard for our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, we are to keep our life blameless until Christ's return. The second thing we can do is to be ready for Christ's return. It could happen at any moment, and because we don't know, we have to be ready. We can't know when, so we must live a life of anticipation of his return. Matthew 24, 42 says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You know, we might not be able to finish this service today, or make it home, or see next week, or next month, 
or our birthday before Jesus returns. We might not. We don't know when he will return, but we do know the signs. The signs say that we could be the last generation. We could be the last people to stand on this earth. So we need to keep watch. And if we lived with this perspective, it would radically shift the way we lived our lives. I mean, honestly, if you really believed it was the end, would you be concerned about your vacation? I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with a vacation, but would you be so caught up in that? Would you be so caught up in your designer sunglasses or your designer shoes? Would you be so caught up in your fancy restaurants? Would you live your life in such a way that there was urgency, urgency for finding the lost? Would you be caught up in Facebook? Would you be caught up in your social media? Would would you just be caught up in this, your iPads? I don't believe that we would. I believe we would have a radical shift if we believed we were in the end times. And if we do that, what do we do in the meantime? We make the most of this life. That's the third thing. No matter where your theology lands on the, on the church and when it will be taken, the beginning, middle, or the end of the tribulation, or how all of this will play out, no matter what you believe about this, because I'm certain that we, some of you disagree, you're, you have different points and different verses that would disagree with the way that I say all this is going to play out. But the one thing that we all can't agree on is that we have to seize the day to live in this very moment, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Be very, very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We have to be sure that we are using everything in our lives, leveraging all of who we are to reach God's lost kids. Every part of us. And this is a sobering thought as we close today. We are one of the last generations, if not the last generation. David's not here, Moses, Noah, Paul, John. None of them are here. God chose you and me to live in the most strategic time during these end times. And our time could be shortened. We don't know how much time we have left. And I believe that the reason that all this isn't wrapped up yet is because of the grace of God. You know how when you have a gift for somebody, you can't wait to give it to them? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm horrible at this. I get a present from my wife, and I'm like, I got you a present. I got you something. I hid it somewhere. You want to play hot and cold? Your birthday or Christmas isn't for a week, but I got it somewhere. I'm horrible. I cannot wait to give it some, to somebody. And I, I got to believe that Jesus is the same way, that he's standing in heaven. When Jesus left, he said, I leave to go to prepare a place for you. And so he's got this place for us ready And I believe he's standing next to the Father saying, can I go? Can I go get him? But God in his grace is saying, not yet. Not yet. There's a few more of my kids that i got to come. I've got a few more empty seats at my table. There's a few more that are going to come be a part of this family. He is waiting for us. He is waiting for us in his grace. And the Father is just saying, not yet. So look, that's our job. We're supposed to shine bright, have the wisdom so that we can make a difference in these end times. Let's pray. You know, it's time to make some decisions. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you have been in church your whole life, but you realize that now is the time to start getting serious about this thing. We aren't living in an age where it's okay for you to attend church on Sunday and live the life the way you want to throughout the week. We're in the final generation. Time is short. 
have to live with wisdom and shine brightly. And my prayer is that God would create a catalyst in your heart for a passion for people and spiritual growth so that you can leverage your influence for the kingdom. There are some of you here, though, that you've never had a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've had it for a period in your life, or, but it's no longer a priority to you. And, and the thought of God coming and taking his church away before the end of this service freaks you out a bit. So we need to make some decisions right now. And you know you need to get it right. So I'm going to help you with a prayer so that you can have a relationship with Jesus because he loves you and demonstrated that love for you and all that he has done. He's not mad at you for the mistakes that you've made. He just wants a relationship with you. He wants your name to be in his book. So if you want to make that decision, I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down to the front or have you stand up. If you want me to pray with you, that's you today. If you're saying, Aaron, count me in on this prayer, would you do me a favor and shoot your hand up in the air? Would you just shoot it high, be bold about it, and let me know that you're here. Hey, that's me. Include me in that prayer today. And I'm going to give you the words, and I ask you to pray. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. And I would just ask you to pray them quietly in your heart. But pray it like you believe it. Mean it. Lord Jesus, I need you. Please come and rescue me. Forgive me of my sin. Come and be first in my life. Help me to live this life for you. I surrender. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, Father, I pray for those of us that have been following you for a long time. Father, stir our hearts within us. Give us a sense of urgency and eyes that are watching for your return. With this in mind, God, I ask that we would live a life of shining that would draw people to you. Help us live with wisdom. Give us a passion for people and for your word. God, do this incredible work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.